Hello, church. Right, should we pray? Get in the right frame of mind for this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is good to us. Um, Lord, as we explore it this morning, would you teach us something new or remind us uh, of how good you are, how you're always there with us every day. We can trust you despite what uh, it feels like around us. Um, We look to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. So, the Christian life, it's easy, isn't it? The Christian life is really easy. You, you make a commitment to Jesus, you get baptized, and then it's a downhill ride from there, isn't it? It's like swimming with the stream, okay? It's like those lazy river rides you get at the, the water parks. Queue up, get a rubber ring, get on, let the current take you. That's, that's what the Christian life is like. And you just you hum a nice tune to yourself until the day Jesus comes uh, and hopefully die pleasantly and peacefully in your sleep. That's what the Christian life is. Okay, thanks. Uh, coffee is served and hot drinks are served. Don't forget to grab your kids. Have a great week. Okay, thank you. Oh, good service today. What are we doing for lunch? Oh, sorry. No, you're right, because, I mean, everything that God has been teaching us in the worship this morning testifies that that is not true, Um, that the Christian life is indeed difficult. Sorry, Vanessa. Um, The Christian life is full of hardship and trials, isn't it? We know this. It's like, actually, it's like swimming upstream. Everything feels like it's against you sometimes, and you are swimming with all of your power just to stay still. It's full of uncertainty and it's full of confusion. And many of us, myself included, we develop a a coping mechanism for this, don't we? And it's called mindful objecting and aggravated nagging. Mindful objecting and aggravated nagging, or moan. We like to have a bit of a moan, don't we? We like to grumble, protest and fuss uh, and complain. And it's not like there's a shortage of things to moan about, is there? Traffic jams, NHS waiting times, hay fever, flat tyres, utility company switchboards, unintelligible energy bills, aggressive drivers, hesitant drivers, the queue at the post office, late trains, difficult people, car insurance premiums, bad weather, politicians, your favourite sports team, your annoying boss, your annoying employee, loud binmen, lazy Amazon deliverers, they're the worst, rude Waiters, overbearing parents, ill-behaved children, noisy neighbours, parking fines, teething babies, piles of laundry, and dishonest estate agents. And that is just my list. Okay, I'm sure you can throw in a few there. I do like to moan. And it's okay, isn't it, to moan a bit every now and then. It's harmless. I mean, who is it really harming? And it helps, doesn't it? It's good, isn't it? At the end of the day, to let off a bit of steam, it's kind of cathartic, it's therapeutic. Well, it's not quite harmless. And we'll see in a moment, when we turn to the Bible, that it can anger God. Um, It puts him to the test. It puts him on trial, actually. It says that we disagree with the life he has given us. And the Israelites moaned, didn't they? We know that. That's one of their defining characteristics, unfortunately, that when they're in the wilderness, they moaned. Um, And we've been following the Israelites the last two weeks. Um, We've seen them delivered from captivity, from a harsh life under the Egyptian rule. We've seen them passed uh, through the Red Sea in dramatic uh, scenes. And now we join them in the wilderness. 
And they're on, they're on a journey. Actually, they're on two kinds of journey. Yes, they're getting to the promised land of Canaan. They're getting from, physically getting from A to B. But they're also moving from slavery to freedom and everything that that entails, and it entails a lot. They're on a journey of becoming God's people. And what we'll see is that God never wastes any moment to teach us and mold us into his people. So if you have your Bibles or on your phone, flip to um, Exodus 16. And what we'll see here is the mentality of the Israelites and how God worked his purposes in and through them. If you haven't got a Bible, the words should be on the screen. So the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So that's about six weeks after they had been rescued and released from Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Their perspective is a bit off, isn't it? They, you might accuse them of having rose-tinted a memory of what life was really like back in Egypt, sat around pots of meat and ate whatever they wanted. Are they kidding? They had backbreaking work. They worked seven days a week. They were regularly beaten as slaves. And in fact, whenever they stepped out of line, Pharaoh punished them severely. And yet, they're already doubting God's plans. They're saying, Aaron, Moses, you've, what are you doing? You've made this worse. We were was much better when we were in Egypt. They've totally lost their perspective and purpose. But the good news is that God hasn't. God graciously responds. We know the story, don't we? We should be quite familiar with it. Manna from heaven. The Lord says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Just imagine that. What what, what an answer. Okay, your, your complaining is unjustified, but I'm going to deal with you graciously and give you exactly what you need. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days, because the seventh day is obviously the Sabbath God wants them to rest. So God answers them, but he also gives them strict instructions. Gather only what you need for the day. Okay, whatever is left over, it won't last. It will perish immediately. And the Sabbath, the seventh day, that is meant for rest. So whatever you gather on the sixth day, that will last all the way over back until the start of the week. But what do they do? Well, they ignore it. Some gather more the next day. Um, Sorry, some gather more than they need for the next day, uh, and it goes moldy. They're still learning. They're still trusting in their efforts, uh, and they're still trusting in their provision. And some go out 
on the seventh day, the day of rest, expecting to find more. And there is none. It angers Moses. And so what could appear like a mildly comical episode, actually God, we see God instilling some important lessons about trust. That what it means to be God's people is to trust God for today. And then trust him for the next day. And then the day after that. And then the day after that, forevermore. And if they're going to reach the promised land, they're going to need to know what it means to truly trust God. And on first impressions, you can kind of sympathize with the Israelites. I mean, stuck in a middle desert without food or water, I'd be grumbling after three hours. You can kind of understand it. Until that is, you look back at where they've come from, 400 years captive in Egypt. God heard their cries, promised their deliverance sent down ten miraculous plagues, kept his promise over the Passover, and miraculously parts the Red Sea just long enough for the whole Israelite community to go through unhurt, just in time for the sea to cave back in again on and, and destroy the Egyptian army. They saw and experienced the raw, awesome power of God. And they saw him provide in the most amazing ways. So that when they reached the other side of the Red Sea, we see that they broke out in spontaneous song. And it says, in Exodus 14, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. But three days later, they were grumbling for lack of water. All things considered, the Israelites have a shockingly short memory of who God is, and how he behaves and how he treats us. When we think of it like this, it's ridiculous and inexcusable of them, isn't it? But really, we're not a lot different, are we? We're like the Israelites in more ways than one. And you're on a similar journey to the Israelites today. We've seen that the Israelites were captive. They went into exile. They went through the waters of the Red Sea. Now they're in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. You yourself, you were captive. You were enslaved to sin. God rescued you. You went through the waters in your baptism. Now you're walking through the wilderness on your way to the promised land, eternal life. You're in the already but not yet stage of the wilderness. So the kingdom has come. God has made you his. But you're not fully whole. You're not there yet you're in a holding place if you like and you may feel today that you're wandering through an unknown country not exactly sure where you're going feeling ill-equipped for the journey and think about your own life perhaps you can sing of God's unfailing love on a Sunday morning but maybe three days later or three hours later you find yourself grumbling again When we grumble, we lose perspective, just like the Israelites. We shrink our horizons, we take our eyes off of God, and we look for solutions elsewhere. So we're just like the Israelites in this. We need to to learn to trust God with what he has given us and not what we desire. And it might mean resisting the lure of promotion, to be present more with our family or the church, It might mean not endlessly fretting over family budgets and lifting them to God in prayer. It might mean saying no to the instant gratification of pornography. 
It might mean accepting your limitations before you have a burnout. It might mean living by his timings and not wrestling back control. Because convenience is not a shortcut to contentment. Convenience is not a shortcut to contentment. Godliness is the only way to the good life. We won't find peace in getting everything to be just so in our lives because we are given what we need for the day, which God does provide, and more. And some of you may be thinking, and as Claire raised, there are, there are times when we can complain to God. Aren't I mean, God invites us to bring our struggles and our raw honesty towards him. And I think, yes, that is true. But the Israelites weren't doing that. And we do see models of this done properly in the Bible, where people come to God with their complaint, but in the same breath, they're recognizing his goodness. In the same breath, they're filled with the hope of glory of the gospel. And then this is the story of God's people. Okay, you may, this afternoon, why don't you go and read um, Habakkuk? It's only three chapters, it will take you 15 minutes. But this is the story of God's people. They're oppressed. And Habakkuk cries out to God and actually says, he complains to God. And God says, it's okay, I know, I've seen your oppression. Don't worry, I'm going to send in a more vicious kind of people to come and completely overturn everything in, in your community. And Habakkuk responds, what? I just asked you to help us, but now you're sending in a more vicious, more savage group of people. And so what does God say? I'm paraphrasing massively here. God says, you're not God. I am. And so Habakkuk says, I'm not God. You're God. I'm going to trust you. And that is the story, isn't it? That's the story of God's people over and over again. I'm not God. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. God, you are different to me. You are wiser than me. But there is good news, thankfully. Well, great news. I was, I've been reflecting on politics recently, as probably we all are. It's very difficult to find good news in our current political climate, isn't it? What? Just praise God that we, every time we come against a hard situation or an impasse or a difficult negotiation, there is good news. Every time there is good news in Jesus Christ. Every time. What a, what a blessing that is for us. God responds to us like he does the Israelites with grace. But we are in a much more privileged position. We see something far greater than manna from heaven. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to John 6 as well. Um, what we see in John 6 is that a great crowd had followed Jesus up the side of a mountain. So Jesus was starting to become notorious. He was developing a following. But a familiar problem arose. There was no food. And they were miles from civilization. And so you know how the story goes. This is, this is a familiar one. Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish, gave thanks for it, and fed 5,000 people. So Jesus produced food from nowhere to feed a multitude. Can you see the similarities? We can see that it was a sign. We know that Jesus was God. We know everything he did on the cross for us in the resurrection. We just celebrated that last week. We know who Jesus is, but they hadn't quite joined the dots yet. So they ask him for another sign. In, in John 6, 31, 
they say, the crowd say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're saying, Moses, he gave our ancestors bread in the desert to prove that he was sent from God. What sign will you do? So Jesus says to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. We like that story. That sounds like a cool story, getting bread from heaven. Do that. Do that again, Jesus. That sounds great. We want want that. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus, he flips it around for them. They're saying, the crowd are saying, oh, we get it. What you just did with the bread and the fish, you're like Moses. Except, I mean, Moses already did that, so you're, you're a bit less than Moses. But we get it, okay, you're another prophet, maybe, something like that. So, but Jesus is, no, 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 no. Moses is like me, okay? So Jesus isn't just latching onto a, a useful metaphor, like bad preachers like me would do, or pouncing on a helpful illustration. No way. Manna falling from heaven with the Israelites was to foreshadow Christ coming down from heaven. Jesus is the bread that doesn't perish. See, Moses brought, perish, brought bread that perishes every day, but Jesus brings something of eternal value. Jesus didn't come to bring bread. He is the bread. So Jesus doesn't just come to help us with our material needs, which he does, praise God. He helps us with our greatest need. So what does that mean? He didn't just bring lessons about how to live well, how to live good, and how to be happy and satisfied. He guarantees it by giving us himself. That is where we find happiness. That is where we find goodness and satisfaction. So Jesus is our satisfying portion. So where we see lack in our lives, Jesus is enough. Where we may be consumed by concerns every day, these aren't eternal. They'll fade away. Jesus gives us something that lasts forever. Identity, forgiveness, true fulfillment. So you may not have the life you wanted today, and that's a hard thing, but you have Christ, and that is enough. And it's always purposeful. There's always a purpose behind your struggle, behind your confusion, behind the complications of your life. There was a purpose for the Israelites. It was to show God's ongoing provision and care for them. God wanted to show them that he was not just interested in their material needs, but he cared about their spiritual needs. And it may feel for us, like the Israelites, that it's hard. Every day is hard. Every day is painful. Sometimes it feels completely pointless. 
Why is my family being dragged through this, these circumstances? Surely there's another way. The Christian life is difficult. It's extremely difficult. It is never pointless. It's always meaningful despite what looks like utterly bizarre circumstances. I saw a, a tweet by uh, American rapper Lecrae this week, and he said that God is relational, not transactional. He wants to walk with you through the pain, not just make it disappear. And knowing this, this changes everything, doesn't it? With the Spirit's help, knowing this gives you the strength to see your hardship for what it really is. You can face up to it knowing that God is doing something in you and through you to refine you. He's clearing away the dead wood. He's exposing the idols in your heart. It's like C.S. Lewis said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What is he up to? Well, he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. Knowing this gives you the peace to say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, I lack nothing, as another translation puts it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me beside quiet waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And even though he's going to lead me through a dark valley, I won't fear any evil, because his rod and his staff are a comfort to me. If I stumble, he will catch me. With his staff. If I go the wrong way, he will rebuke me with his rod. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell with in the house of the Lord forever. Our cup overflows when we think of it like this. Our cup isn't just full, it overflows with God's goodness. So the truth is, no matter what circumstances you're facing today, whether it's tragedy or tedious frustrations, God is working everything for your good as you love him. So your singleness, your difficult marriage, your illness and your mental health, your bereavement, your rejection, or your suffering, whether it's big or small, God intends it for your Christ-likeness today. So look at yourself, child of God, look at yourself in the perspective of the cross and the perspective of eternity. Jesus gave everything for us. He felt hunger and thirst. He sweated blood. He was betrayed, mocked, beaten, and crucified for you. Would he not give you everything that you need for this life? God provides manna in the wilderness. Will he not give you hope in your trials? So trust him for today, and there will never come a day when Jesus isn't enough for you. That day will never come. Praise God. And this is a wonderful promise because we have not always found him to be enough. 
So the Christian life is not easy by any means. But the good news is it is straightforward. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be given to you. It's not easy, but it is straightforward. I thought we could do something a bit different today. I thought we could um, get into prayer huddles and just pray about these things because sometimes we need just someone we know really well just to go through these things with us. So just be thinking of someone that you could just grab and just pray about finding hope in whatever trial you face right now. So come to the river that will never run dry. As Jesus. Come and find water for your thirsty soul today. Find rivers of water in the desert. Jesus is a river of water in a desert and barren place. Come and gather your fill of him. Find the strength that you need for today. So let's just just take a moment to just grab someone you know and feel comfortable with and spend time getting prayer with them. Acknowledge that your life is, in some, in some ways it feels like a desert. And declare God's goodness over that. Let's pray.